0: Hello, Loretta.
1: Hello, hello. Um, is everything is everything going okay? You can hear my earbuds, all right?
0: I can hear you. I should tell you that there are five words you're not allowed to say since since we just had a song. There five words I'll put in the chat that you cannot say. You probably know what they are, but uh, just to be safe, I will I will I will add it now. Um, Anyway, it's, I have to do this with every guest, and then everyone kind of laughs I'm like get it out of your system before you come on the air. Uh, okay. <laughs> so there I you go.
1: I think I can. I think I can. I think I can manage.
0: Okay, cool. Thank you. Well, it's so great to have you on. I, you know, I've known you for a very long time, um, and have respected all of your work. You, I was looking you up earlier, and you've done. You've worked on eighty-eight films. That's pretty amazing.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess I have. It, I don't. I never. I never counted.
0: Um, (laughs) that that, that
1: doesn't that doesn't count all the corporate bread and butter kind of stuff either you know
0: (laughs) right exactly well that is quite an accomplished career so uh, kudos to you and uh yeah i want to talk about uh impresario the film itself and i'm sure we'll get there and i want to talk about the state of queer film too but if you could let our listeners know the, just let everybody know a little bit about you and your career and how you got into filmmaking.
1: Well, um, I, I, in high school, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, so I started, um, started volunteering for my local PBS station in San Diego, KPBS. And, uh, and while they're doing grunt work uh, on, on a flatbed cutting film ends and things, um, I discovered Documentary. And I was like, "Oh no, this is what I want to do." So um, I was very fortunate to just feel like just the absolute zing of, "Yeah, this is this is it." So, um, so I have been working in documentary ever since. So I I don't know how to do anything else. <laughs> uh, so I I came up to the Bay Area when I was twenty one got a job at a I in I was in school still but um, got a job at a, a rental house met everybody in town I was gonna take a semester off from school but it turned into forever and um, and yeah it just went from there I, I found I really liked doing sound and um, it was it was a less competitive thing than a lot of the camera stuff and I thought it was more fun anyway so um, but I really like working with camera obviously so um it just all worked out into a whole career so yeah sound
0: it's amazing because I know back in when I was 20 years ago when I was doing a little bit of filmmaking and I never really had the appreciation for sound until I actually was doing some of it myself and it is it's amazing like sound can totally it I mean it just sets the tone for anything you're doing even if it's a documentary uh you just and and I'm not even talking so much about but yes, of course, there's the you know the additional thing, like if you if you add music or add, add some sort of sounds that are not part of of the scene or the interview. But even just the way that you that you record it, or you record what's actually happening, just has such an impact on film. And I, I think it's a really underappreciated part of, of filmmaking, at, at least let's say for from moviegoers, I, I think people in the industry. You have a you know know how important it is.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, of course, one of the fun jobs in sound and film is, is things like foley. You know, for on big on the big movies, they do so much in post um, that it's a whole nother creative endeavor. Um, I've pretty much approached mine like a craft because in documentary, it's just to get it clear and and as I mean there's creative problem solving, but um, you're not into bells and whistles so much. It's really pretty nuts and bolts but um, but really uh, it's so gratifying like I just I, I mean I like hearing people's stories. So I get to listen to people's stories all the time and and that's pretty that's pretty entertaining. so
0: yeah I agree. I think it's fascinating like by having the show, one of the things I love about Fifth Wave Radio Queerly Drinking is when I do interviews and hear people's stories and what they're, how they've got, you know, the, the path they take in to do what they're doing, whatever, you know, we've had everything on here from people who work in gun control policy, you know, to filmmakers, to winemakers. And it, it is really interesting, you know, to people who are not necessarily like super famous, of course, some of those stories are interesting too, but just people who are are changing things uh, in a way that's that's not attracting a ton of attention, but but by virtue of the work they're doing, it's actually having a really big impact. I, I agree. I think it, it's fascinating. Excuse me. There's a fruit fly in here. And it's right by the microphone. Some <laughs> kind of fly. and This annoying me. All right, go 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 away. I'm not going to kill you. I'm a vegan, but please don't don't interrupt my interview. Uh, so the, let's talk a little bit about the movies that you've made now. Before you did Empresario you did another film, Zeitgeist, 1977, the first film festival. Uh, so that was a short film, and it seems like in a way that was almost like the, the prequel to Impresario. Uh, just a, a, a little kind of a short about the making of a Frameline and the, the first LGBTQ film festival.
1: Well, because I had, I'm, I basically started working on Impresario, uh, at, at the time I started, it was called, uh, my working title was My Gay Grey Garden. Cause that was, <laughs> it was really, it was really going to be a short about Mark and his garden, as a, but until it mushroomed, but um, uh, I, so in, let's see how many years were we into that and the 40th anniversary of Frameline came up. And since Mark, my subject was one of the original founders, one of the nine guys who, who started the first festival, um, you know, I had this material and I thought I should really do something for for this event. And, um, and I did craft something together. Uh, and at the time, I mean, 1977 was kind of an interesting year for queer film in the Bay area, because that was also the year that word is out, um, uh, brought, was broadcast on PBS. So there was like the mainstream track and then there were these grassroots guys doing their, their little, you know, super eight stuff. I mean, Barbara Hammer was around at that time too, mm-hmm. but, um, but anyway, I went so into the historical society and and uh, the Hormel Center and got some other material and made made a made that short. So I wanted it to not just be super specific about that, but it but it was quite the year. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, it's a, I was looking. I was like thinking about all the like seventy seven and what a pivotal year and just all the music and from different genres they came out. Like there was so much happening in punk and there was disco and then there was rock and jazz and and just so many things. But then and especially like the disco a lot of that coincided with what was going on in the Castro and it was right before the AIDS epidemic and there were filmmakers that were you know that you know, people who might have made a few films and then died a few years later and you think about the careers that some of these people could have had had they not
1: gotten AIDS so, yeah, indeed. yeah yeah and, I mean I think there are maybe um let's see I guess they're three or four left of those original guys. I don't know their names by heart, but of course there's Danny Nicoletta and Mark Eustace, and there were several other folks, Um, but sorry, I don't know their names off the top of my head, but, um, but there were all kinds of institutions that these folks were putting together at the time. Like there were first, you know, there were all this whole cooperative um, ethic that everybody had then. Um, So they were putting together things like, you know, the historical society, I forget, there there was sort of the kernel of what became the historical society. They call it the Historical Gay Lesbian History Project or some, you know, there was some other kind of grassrootsy name for it, but they, you know, there were all kinds of things like that that started these institutions that we take for granted now.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, and I want to ask you a little bit about, about how Filmmaking, queer filmmaking, has changed over the last, you know, four to five decades, and also, guess and also how San Francisco and the Castro has changed too. Um, and we'll we'll get to that in a minute, because but I because I, I really want to address the film and I want to make sure we give that its proper due. Uh, so, why did you choose Mark Hustis as a subject?
1: Well, I didn't so much. It sort of fell in my lap because um, as I said, it started out as my gay gray garden. I, I had worked for him, uh, as a sound recordist on his, on his films. There was Sex Is and Chuck Solomon coming of age and these various films. And, um, I was just going to shoot him in, it was kind of as a favor in his garden. And, um, so, but he, I had been sober for maybe three years or so, and he had been also a I was just kind of amazed at how relaxed he was and how open he was and how happy he was there. (laughs) Like, you know, he'd always kind of had an edge before. And I just thought, oh, this is cool. I, you know, it was just a whole different side of him. And I, um, you know, I sort of, it was kind of like my perception of him as sort of an angry young man kind of coming to peace with where he ended up. Um, And I thought that was a good story. And I thought it. I should. I should. I was naturally the one to tell it because, first of all, I liked how relaxed he was with me in, in the camera. Um, and so I just went. I went ahead and uh, started doing that myself as a single person band. There. <laughs> did,
0: um, did, so you you were shooting it as well.
1: Yeah, it was oh. just like a little handy cam. And then I got my own. Then I borrowed one from a friend and. You know, I rigged it up so I had decent sound and, uh, you know, did it that way for a while. Um, but uh, I ended up, it, it mushroomed in terms of format. And, you know, I'm not a DP, so I had to recruit some friends sometimes. And um, that's one of the reasons why it took so long. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, so I, I was interested in how, um, in his resilience and his, his reinventions of himself. Over time, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, no, it, it's interesting to like see, and I've uh, like I I've met him at times over the years. I don't think, well, maybe he would, but that he kind of remembers me It's more like, oh, there's this guy who's like started Framelight. So at different festivals, I've met him, and, but not really had a conversation with him. Um, and uh, but it, it just to see, you know, someone who was part of that set in the '70s with Harvey Milk and and other people. And having gone through so much, and as you know, any gay man from that time, so much loss too, and kind of being where he is now. And yeah, you see him being in this garden. And he seems very peaceful, and he's sober now. And especially the—I don't want to really ruin it for anyone who hasn't seen it—but the, the last scene where you see he's up like you know, by a creek or a, a lake, and he's he's swimming, and just seems very much at peace. And it's it's uh, it's nice, you know. I think that what you were just saying the idea of trying to capture someone who was kind of like an angry young man and then someone who's now at peace with themselves definitely is, is true. And when I, when I was looking, watching the movie for the second time, I was thinking to myself that what, what is really important about this film, I think for the long haul, is that it's a cultural artifact. I mean, yes, it's a story, it's a biography about one person and their life, but it also, you can, if, you, if somebody a hundred years from now watches this and wants to get an idea of what San Francisco was like yeah, let's say from you know the, the 70s, even you know, to a lesser extent up to now, because I think you know a lot of it really is the focus on you know, what he what he created and, and produced, you know, the the movement, I guess the film movement and, and the activist movement that was, was part of it. I, I think it it's would be a it'll be a very valuable resource.
1: Well, as brief as it is and has as truncated as some of the you know, like it's sort of Sweeps by some rather large chunks in 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 brief ways, but there are things that I think um I was trying to get an emotional truth rather than names and dates and things. So um, you know, like Harvey Milk was a person that my friends all knew as a person, not not an ivory bust, you know, and so. There, there's the human side of how you know political discussions went, and um, there's another something that was important to me is that Mark made one of the first films about a person with AIDS, uh, Chuck Solomon Coming of Age, and at the time, you know, it didn't it did well critically, but people didn't necessarily want to go see it because nobody wanted to see anything about AIDS while we were still in it. And then it was like 30 years where you barely saw anything about AIDS in film. You know, there was Philadelphia story and a couple other things, but for a long time, nobody touched AIDS in film. And now then it became this wave of documentary where anytime you saw a profile of somebody that had lived through the area era, there would be, suddenly there were the dark, uh, dark musical tones. And it's like, Oh, here we are in this part of the story, the AIDS, the bummer AIDS part of the story. And, you know, it was this very predictable thing when you saw a biography or anything about somebody that covered that period. It was just, oh, here we go. Here's the depressing part. Here's the downer part of the story. And I was determined, I didn't want people watching to to go through that same knee-jerk, I mean, obviously it's it's a part, part of many people's stories. So it's important in all its ways, but I wanted the community response part to be more what it was about and Mark's role in that versus, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
0: Yeah, a, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewing a band Commando, which is sort of like a queer super group, uh, you know, various people, uh, who are musicians in their own right you know they're all queer uh but it came together to form this new metal band and they have there's one they have one song yeah uh, actually i have a couple of songs that actually address and talk about aids and i find it somewhat almost i want i mean refreshing but i'm glad because i feel like there that is a part it's not a, a great part of our history by any means but it is a very important part of you know, of the history of San Francisco and I mean, every single LGBTQ community, but especially San Francisco, because this was like, you know, the Mecca. Um, and there were so many people who were killed, killed by the disease. And then I think the other thing too, was that there were so many lesbians who, who cared for their sick gay male friends uh, as well. So it's not like it was a disease that just hit gay men. It impacted the entire LGBTQ community. And at the, so I think it's, it's really important that we continue, that that we make sure that this is a part of of history that isn't not quite erased, but but isn't dismissed because it was well, such a big part of of this, you know for a couple of decades.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's 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 more it's an it's a more balanced, integrated way that we have the history now. It yeah. just for years nobody everybody put their feelings and memories in a box and put it on shelf. And now they've come down and now they're a little bit more in our and you know it's it's a much more integrated thing now. But it's it's funny. Um, one of the people who just watched the film, watched Impresario, just um, emailed that <laughs> he remembered me from uh, he used to work in, in video and he he remembered me from working on some condom commercials in 1985 <laughs> that we did where were PS they were public service announcements. Um, because everybody was doing something, I did a lot for Shanti and everything. I mean, it was the center of all our lives, not just gay men. I mean, yeah. it was it was it was a huge part of all our lives. People were volunteering for Shanti, doing all kinds of things, and so uh, that was a funny reminder because they couldn't they and they couldn't air those commercials because it, they were for condoms. They didn't have condom commercials back then. So, um, <laughs> that really, okay. Was,
0: but there i get no cigarette commercials i think were done away within the 70s so yeah i don't think yeah yeah
1: yeah they just it wasn't a thing so they couldn't get them to air yeah
0: (laughs) so where so when where were they shown
1: i don't remember if they were able to be shown but i think you know there was no internet then so uh i don't remember i think you know maybe they showed them like you know on screens and bathhouses or something i don't i don't even know um but <laughs> a d- different time for sure.
0: Yes, yeah, for, for sure. So, you know, in the beginning with Frameline and que- Frameline and queer film in general, it was like, not just by definition, but in form is really very exper- experimental. Like, you know, you're talking about Barbara Hammer and you know, just, yeah, I've seen uh, over the years, a lot of like the really early Frameline movies. And it wasn't until the 80s that there started to be some that were a little bit, more commercial. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, When I, I was not, noticed when I was looking at the program that like, there's no more fun in girl shorts. There's no more fun in boy shorts. And I think that in, in some way it's kind of interesting because it, I think it, sh- it, so, it shows that there's like a shift to like away from this binary way of thinking about being queer where it's like, you're a lesbian, you're a gay man. You might mm-hmm. be bisexual, but bisexuals, you know, for you, were sort of like not really trusted. It's like, you know. I think we used to have I mean, a
1: program for them.
0: Right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. I know. And, and and now it just seems like, and I don't know if this is true of other festivals, but it seems like we're, with Frameline that all of the programming is much more inclusive. It doesn't have as like, the, the boundaries are not as rigid of like, this is for gay men, this is for lesbians, this is for bisexuals, these are for trans people but this is something that is just queer where various people can relate to it. And, and mm-hmm. on top of that, this year, there was so much more trans programming than I've seen in years too.
1: hmm hmm Yeah. Well, the, I, the, the trans programming has been has been emerging for years, yeah. I think, but, yeah. but in terms of how they program it, um, I think what's interesting is that, I, I think for a lot of folks who probably are, are sad to see those programs go away, there was a ritual of the festival that they would show on Saturday morning, the first Saturday of the festival, the boys' short or the girls' shorts and the boys' shorts, one before the other. And the fun for people that went down the line of people standing in line for the movie <laughs> was oh, no, the, it was, was like, like you would go, you go like, to cruise. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So so I think for, for some people that are sad to see that go, I think that's probably a large reason. But, um, you know, for, of course for us film people, we would go to both and, mm. you know, and just because we liked film. And so I think, um, as well as, you know, it, yeah, so I think um, with the non binary, and uh, first of all, there's, there's, when they can't have to categorize them, like, you know, the programmers would have to, to be used to have to be have huge disclaimers if there was some kind of heterosexual activity in what was touted as a lesbian movie you know like they would get such blowback if there was some other kind of interactions or something <laughs> and and, and yeah uh-huh. they you know the audience would hiss and and boo and things like that so so there was the challenge of of having to be very strict about those those categories and i think with non- the emergence of of uh, a, a uh, new pressure appreciation of fluidity. Um, it's just, let's go with that instead. And and as uh, opening night of Frameline this year, uh, executive director uh, James um, was saying in, in, his, in his opening appeal for people to come back to the movies, which that's a whole nother thing, um, he was saying, go to the movies (laughs) and don't just go to your L or your G or your B or your T, see everything. And I think, you know, I think that's great. And I, I fully support that, you know, just see everything and, you know, the things that resonate more for you will, will do so. And you can still seek things out, but I I, I'm, I'm all for the programming that way.
0: Yeah. I I just wonder if, like as you we were saying, you know, the fun and girl shorts, fun and boy shorts. Like it was always sort of like this fun thing, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, you go, you would see. I mean, you see, like all your friends in girl shorts, like. And I do wonder though if there if it is in a way doing a little bit of a disservice to the to people who really identify strictly as as lesbians or dykes or or gay men. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I wonder about that.
1: Um, I think, well, let that, me, maybe, yeah. I think there's room for, I think there's room for programming those things too. Right. I, yeah. I, I I don't think it has to be one or the other. Sure. Oh, I mean, no, I,
0: absolutely. It's just, I noticed that like that, that was not there and that was, whoa, I can't believe that they're not doing the fun and girl shorts, fun and boy shorts, um, I mean, I love, don't, I, I really, I, I love like the, the way the program has evolved in other ways too. Now, I always feel that it still tends to have too many gay men, especially too many you know, gay, white male stories. I think that mm-hmm. continues to be the case, but it's, and, it's, and, it's and better the, than it was. It's it, definitely it, in the right track.
1: It, it has improved, but it is still the case that men, I think, get the money easier than the women i you know I, I, of course now it's anecdotal there's been a lot more support for women filmmakers than there used to be um uh, there there is um but it's still i think particularly in the feature world um as as in the straight world you can have a failed feature as a guy and still get some money to try and try a second feature <laughs> oh, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that kind of thing doesn't happen for women but you know as I said since the me too thing there have been a lot of initiatives and things and um you know I mean the subject of my movie of impresario is an older white man and and it's a it's a it's a white movie there's no mm-hmm. sideways no ways around that and you know that limits its I think that limits its life. And I think it limits um, what I was able to try to apply for in terms of funding. I, I didn't get any.
0: <laughs> I, I was going to ask you how about the fund, like how, how you funded your film?
1: Well, I had great uh, uh, advice from the best people around. Jenny Jenny Olson. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Jenny, Jenny Olson wrote a primer, a great primer on, on crowdfunding, but... Um you have to have the wherewithal to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did not have that. So I, I I didn't do that. There were there were maybe a handful of foundations that I thought were appropriate to apply for um, because it was basically I, it's kind of a small film in some ways. it's not a lofty big subject matter. Um, you know, it's not saving, you know, people it's not saving the planet or you know a lot of subjects that are important that are more easily funded mm-hmm. um and so yeah i i struck out on that so that's another reason why it took so long <laughs>
0: yeah no I, I i hear you there and it, i like i deal with i'm you know, trying to get funding like for my organization it isn't it's not easy and if you're anything like me i i don't like spending time I want to spend time doing like the work that I'm doing, and mm-hmm. of course, part of that is looking for funding. So I, I do that, but it's not a part that I in, enjoy doing particularly. And a lot of getting funding is also self promotion, which personally I loathe. Um, you don't yeah, strike too. me as as someone who is really into doing that either. Uh, so it, yeah, it it can be really infuriating. I was uh, having a conversation kind of with someone who is trying to write a book, and she's a great writer. And basically she was told that she needs to have at least 5,000 Instagram followers before. And I was thinking to myself, okay, so basically people who are really good at promoting themselves and are very Instagram savvy who get these thousands of followers and can barely string a sentence together, you know? And they'll get a book deal. But here's this person who is like really bright, a great writer, and she's having to deal with this. And it just seems, I just feel like it's almost like if you're, why not? It, like, what, is, what about the people who want to go in there and discover those who are actually really good at what they do as opposed to being lazy and just relying on, you know, what the, how the public reacts to people who are good at promoting themselves. But I guess mm-hmm. we're, we're getting a little off topic there. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, well, I, guess- I mean, I mean
1: it, it, it does relate in terms of um, just what gets made, how it gets made, right. who gets to make it. Those are all relevant. Yeah,
0: definitely. And today we're also living in a very different world from the one from when Frameline started in 77. And yeah, I, I was also thinking that at the beginning, yeah, the films were really, com- they, were, they were not commercial. And when you look at the, that, like now I don't see that much experimental queer film. Now, granted, I know experimental queer film, the stuff that's really experimental probably wouldn't even get to Frameline at this point. You know, like with Barbara Hammer's early works, get into Frameline. And I, I I don't know it it's it, like Frameline has definitely become more commercial over the years too and and that's you know that's a double edged sword I think it's good because it makes it more accessible to to more people and also when you have films that have more like you know commercial you know widespread appeal you're going to get those stories out into other places that might not that might not have any sort of queer programming you know stories trying to think off the top of my head but um, come on, well, help me help me uh, well, out. Well well, well,
1: well, the, well, the dynamic yeah. really shifted because uh, um, Michael Lumpkin really started Frameline the organization, right? And um, really built it. Um, and it was it's been very interesting to have been around all these years and have kind of more institutional memory than the people that are actually there right now. <laughs> um, yeah, but but in in those. In over the years, um, it used to be that a, like a big a big studio would never want it w- would it would be kind of a kiss of death to show their movie at a queer festival, right? And then it, and then it com- now it's completely flipped, mm-hmm. where they really want it in there for marketing and getting that audience hooked in, and you know the whole the way that whole works. Um, so it it's been interesting to see the complete shift of that and yeah. um, I think I mean there there were like well my friend h p mendoza's film attack uh, attack decay release was uh, you could call that an experimental film, and that was in there um, yeah. and and there they they are in there and some of those shorts are experimental um, but uh, I, I I hear you that it, It it was interesting to have, you know, an Amazon um, serial show. Be um, it was the opening night. Mm
0: -hmm. Was the
1: opening night movie? Yeah. In quotes, in quotations, Uh, which you know I. Hey, whatever gets people in the seats and people enjoy and is queer and furthers, you know, if if it's symbiotic, great, but. Um, but yeah, I hear you on a commercial level. I mean, there, one thing is filmmaking is more accessible for people to make uh, with decent production values, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think it's po- it's a lot more possible for people to make content with decent production values than it used to be. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, no doubt that's definitely true. I yeah I was just wondering if there are places where people who are doing like really still doing like really experimental, experimental queer film like if you wanted to see that you know and I know that's very often there are film festivals other festivals that have that content and they might not be like exclusively queer to you but they might just be in that uh, but I know since I'm just looking and seeing that we are we don't have that much time left which is unfortunate because I love talking to you but uh, I did want to ask you a couple of other things um, mm-hmm. so if both zeitgeist and an impresario mark and, and david said that people they said people could go to new york or la to make films but san francisco is where you came to be gay now do you think that's still true i mean yes it was i'd say when i moved here 30 years ago it was true but here in 2022 do you think that that's still that's still true and especially if you are a gay filmmaker uh
1: i don't think so i uh I, it was true for me um but i don't think it's still true yeah, I don't. I think that it's um, it's known, well known, how expensive it is, mm-hmm. and people are finding community in other places. It, and because of the internet, um, it doesn't have to be a bar. Um, so there are ways people are finding community differently. And like I, uh, you know, friends of mine that have moved away from here to, um, to surprising places you know, I know, I have one filmmaker friend who moved from here to Philly, uh, which is not a podunk place at all, obviously. Um, But, but, you know, not, not the coasts, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and was involved in in putting together a film community there. Like Mm. really, you know, people just say, you know, take the initiative to, Organize themselves and where they want to be um, instead of, you know, it's kind of the other way around now. Yeah. <laughs> you go where you want and then try to build community there sometimes, but I'm not brave enough right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sticking around here for the, for the time being, but we'll see. Okay, well, that makes me happy because
0: I, I, I th- I've been threatening to move to the East Bay because I'm not crazy about the pol- current politics of San Francisco. But that's another story. But yeah, I, especially with what's going in the country right now, I can't imagine living anywhere other than the Bay Area. So, so, but let, let's keep the subject on. What were some of your favorite films at Frameline this year,
1: other than your own, of course? Well, um, I'm I'm still a, a big fan of documentary. Uh, just I just find real life half the time uh, it, it's just so compelling. And there was this one called Was It Nellie and Nadine? Mm-hmm. just amazing just amazing they had they had incredible footage and uh just fascinating about these women that were holocaust survivors uh who were a couple and just just amazing stuff um and um and then there was one uh we watched a, a narrative we watched the other day uh unidentified objects mm-hmm. uh really liked that um and um you know the lead character was a, a, a little person as fellow um who was just amazing character great actor i of course i'm terrible with names so i, I didn't i should have written these things down but um anyway uh, that's okay i didn't
0: give you the questions ahead of time so don't worry
1: <laughs> those are two anyway yeah,
0: yeah. okay so let's because we just have a few minutes left Where I so Empresario is screening, uh, people can, if they go to the Frameline website, they can still buy it and screen it at home until tomorrow, June 30th.
1: Right, right.
0: It will, is it going to be shown at any other festivals or is, are any other streaming services picking it up?
1: Um, I have, I have uh, submitted to a handful of other festivals that are too soon to be determined. Um, And um, we'll see what happens. I, It would be nice if I got it on something like like a Hulu or Netflix type platform, but um, it's too early to say. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I certainly hope you do because as we were saying earlier, I think that it's you, know, you said that you felt that the film you know has like you know you know that it has, does have sort of a life or a shelf life. I and even, I feel like even if it is a film about a you know gay white man, uh, it's still. And, and it may not it's definitely not a story that everyone who identifies as queer can relate to, even even people who live through that time. I, I think that it really it's very important because it, like I said earlier, it's a cultural artifact. It does it does give tell people a lot about what was happening in San Francisco and the Castro you know, during that time and all the different the, you know not just film but just like with Harvey Milk and, and Harvey Milk's camera shop and how that was a hub. Uh, for for a lot of gay men in, in the mid '70s, and I, th- I think it's an, an important film. So I think it's going to outlive both of us in terms of of its, <laughs> of its life and, and, and relevance.
1: I hope um, so. Well, I hope I hope to I hope just it, for general audience that just um, overcoming obstacles of of just depression and and life obstacles, just an approach to life yeah. that ho- I hope is a little universal.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that's true too. And for all who are listening, if you go to Frameline.org, you can, uh, if you go to the, let's see, you go to the festival, Frameline.org, and then go to sort of like resistance festival and there'll be a guide and it's listed alphabetical. So they actually made it pretty easy this year to find it and just go to impresario, click on more info and you could screen it through the, I guess the end of the day tomorrow. Yeah, Um, yeah. Frameline 46. Frameline 46, okay, great. Well, Loretta, thank you so much for for being here with me uh, and having this discussion. As I said, I I'm just really appreciate all the work you've done on all of your films. You know, you've worked on so many, the Cellulite Closet* being one and so many others that have been a, an important part of LGBTQ cinema and, and history.
1: Well, thanks so much. There's one coming out under fire that's showing in L.A. next week. So that's pretty cool.
0: And what is that called?
1: coming out under fire coming okay, right, Out under on. fire
0: and it, it's, it's part as part of their festival is that what it is uh, or? no
1: it's a special it's a special um, uh, I, it's a, it's a special screening series uh, of gay, queer historical films that yeah. a bunch of great stuff showing.
0: okay cool wish I was in LA but anyway I'll, I'll look for it hopefully it'll be uh, screened somewhere up here as well or on one of the streaming services so thank you again. And, Thank uh, you. Sure. All right. Have a good rest of your day.
1: I take care. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye.